Welcome to the German Nagoya Protocol Hub's podcast series, Nagoya Bytes. Nagoya Bytes is all about helping researchers in the academic sector in Germany with understanding their obligations arising from the implementation of the Nagoya Protocol. My name is Elizabeth Kaga, or you can call me Liz. I'm the manager of the German Nagoya Protocol Hub, or the GMP Hub for short, and I'm your host today. I'm delighted that you've tuned in. If you find this podcast useful, or you'd like to suggest a topic for a future podcast, don't forget to let us know via the contact form on the GNP Hub website. You can find the link in the show notes. Today's podcast is about the EU law on ABS compliance, Regulation EU number 511 of 2014, also known as the EU ABS regulation. This came into force in October 2014, and it creates due diligence obligations for researchers and institutions. So today's podcast is not going to go into detail about what these due diligence obligations are. If you're interested, you can find this information on the GMP Hub website. What we really want to talk about today is the scope of the regulation. So, in other words, understanding whether it applies to you or not. Based on a number of discussions with researchers over the last year and, and inquiries received by the GMP Hub, working out whether the regulation applies to you or not is not always so easy. Our guest today is here to shed some light on this topic. So, Martin Brink is working at the Centre for Genetic Resources in the Netherlands, which forms part of the, and I'll pronounce this wrong, Wageningen University and Research. So, he focuses a lot on genetic resource policy, access and benefit sharing, the regulation, etc. He is, in fact, the national focal point of, uh, on ABS for the Netherlands and is supporting the activities of the Netherlands in international genetic resources fora, such as the Convention on Biological Diversity, the Nagoya Protocol, but also in the treaty under the Food and Agriculture Organization. He was involved in the development of the new EU guidance document, which was published in January of this year. So, um, Martin, uh, thanks for joining us today and giving us some insight on this very complicated topic. Yeah, thank you, Liz, for introducing me and for giving me this opportunity to tell more about the EU ABS regulation and its scope. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, we're going to start with the basics today. So can you just briefly say something about what the EU regulation is and its purpose? Well, the EU ABS regulation is about compliance to Nagoya rules in provider countries. It contains obligations for users in EU countries and for governments in EU countries. Through the EU ABS regulation, uniform rules for compliance have been established for all EU countries so to provide a level playing field. To make it clear, the EU ABS regulation is not about access to genetic resources of EU member states, as access is not regulated at the EU level, but at the national level of member states. So our focus today is uh, working out whether we have due diligence obligations. So you mentioned users of genetic resources. So to, to whom are we actually referring? Well, in the EU ABS regulation, a user is defined as any natural or legal person that utilizes genetic resources. 
This means that the regulation applies to all institutes, companies and citizens who utilize genetic resources falling within the scope of the regulation, and no distinction is made between commercial and non-commercial activities. It can even apply to people working at the regulatory government agencies. This is what they call the personal scope of the regulation. Okay, so um, if I want to know whether or not the regulation applies to me, there are several elements that I need to take into account. Can you give like a quick overview of what these different elements or tests are? Yes, the, the EU ABS regulation only applies when the genetic resources are or were accessed from a country that is a part to the Nagoya Protocol and has established access measures and that the genetic resources are utilized within the European Union. Furthermore, the genetic resources have to be accessed from 12 October 2014 onwards and utilization of genetic resources takes place, which means they are used in basic research, applied research and or product development. These are the geographical, temporal and material scopes of the EU ABS regulation and only when the activities fall in all three scopes, the EU ABS regulation applies. Okay, so in other words, it's important for people to consider these all together or to consider them as being cumulative. When should I ask myself these kinds of questions about the material and where it came from, when it was accessed and what I'm doing with it? You should ask these questions when you're doing research and or development on the material. The regulation applies to uses of material, so it does not apply when you only have the material in your possession and you are doing nothing with it. Also, it does not matter if you collect the material yourself or get it through an intermediary, for instance a company, shop or a collaboration partner. If you obtain material from an intermediary and you subsequently use it in the research and development, you are the one who is responsible for complying with the EU ABS regulation and not the intermediary. All right, well, let's take a closer look at each of these different scopes in turn. Well, before going into the details of the scopes of the EU ABS regulation, I would like to mention that a very informative guidance document on the regulation has been published by the European Commission. A first version of this guidance document was published in 2016, and in January 2021, a revised version was published. This revised version provides very detailed information and many practical examples on the scope and user obligations of the regulation. Its Annex 2 in particular provides specific guidance on when activities with genetic resources are considered to be utilization in the meaning of the regulation, following the logic of the value chain as closely as possible. Okay, I think this is really important uh, information and a good tip uh, for the listeners. And I say this always, this guidance document is a must-have resource for researchers in the EU um, to help them understand their obligations. So um, just to the listeners, you can actually find the link in the show notes for this episode of Nagoya Bites. Okay, let's go back to this question of geographical scope. So what do we need to take into account when we think about this where question? The main aspect of the geographical scope is that the genetic resources are accessed from a country that's a part to the Nagoya Protocol and has established applicable access measures. And the main source of information on whether a country is a part of the Nagoya Protocol and established these measures is the ABS Clearinghouse website of the CBD. This website gives a lot of information on Nagoya arrangements in countries. 
If the information on the website indicates that access rules are applicable to the genetic resources you intend to use, you should comply with these access rules. However, it is important to bear in mind that even if no information on access measures is available on the Clearinghouse website, this does not automatically mean that there are no access rules at all. As part of your due diligence obligation under the EU ABS regulation, you should in these situations contact the national focal point of the country to obtain more information. Contact details of the national focal points of most countries are provided on the ABS Clearinghouse website. A second aspect of the geographical scope is that utilization has to take place partially or entirely in the European Union. You mentioned intermediaries before. So I have an example. Uh, what happens if I get material from a collaboration partner in Switzerland, for example? But um, actually the material originally comes from Thailand. So um, I need to check which country this came from, whether they have access benefit sharing laws and they apply it. Which, which country do I check? Do I check Switzerland or do I check Thailand? In this case, you have to check the ABS obligations of Thailand. However, if the material was obtained by the Swiss colleague before 12 October 2014, the material would fall outside the temporal scope of the EU ABS regulation. Okay, and another question, because um, there are actually a lot of countries out there that have access and benefit sharing laws, but they're not parties to the Nagoya Protocol yet. So, I mean, one example is Costa Rica, Another example is Australia. So what does this mean if I'm doing research with material from Costa Rica? They have access and benefit sharing laws, but they're not a Nagoya Protocol country. This means that the material from Costa Rica does not fall under the EU ABS regulation and that there are no diligence obligations. However, even if the utilization of these genetic resources falls outside the scope of the regulation, you are, as a bona fide researcher, supposed to respect the national rules and regulations of the country where you obtain the resources. Otherwise, you may be called to account by the authorities of that country at a later stage. Okay, and, and what about countries like Germany or Netherlands? They are Nagoya Protocol countries, but if I look at the ABS Clearinghouse, it says that there are no laws on access or requiring benefit sharing. So, so what does this what does this mean about my obligation? Germany and the Netherlands are among the countries which have decided not to establish access rules for genetic resources. This means that genetic resources from these countries do not fall in scope of the EU ABS regulation and that there are no due diligence obligations. Of course, this only applies if these genetic resources are really German or Dutch genetic resources and they are not genetic resources obtained from another country and transferred to Germany or the Netherlands. Okay, well, let's move on to the temporal aspect. Um, so, in other words, this when question. So, the Nagoya Protocol and the EU ABS regulation entered into force on the 12th of October 2014. So, what does this mean in practice for researchers? What do they need to ask themselves? Well, because the EU ABS regulation has no retroactive action, this means that the regulation only applies to genetic resources that were or are acquired on or after 12 October 2014. But I mean, some countries have actually had ABS laws for a long time, uh, way before 2014, and so before the Nagoya Protocol came into force. So what are the implications then for due diligence in the EU? 
Yes, it's true that some countries had already ABS rules before the entry into force of the Nagoya Protocol and the EU ABS regulation on 12 October 2014. But, as I indicated earlier, the regulation has no retroactive action and the regulation only applies to genetic resources that were or are acquired on or after 12 October 2014. If you obtain material in 2010 from a country that established ABS legislation in 2006, the material does not fall in the temporal scope of the EU ABS regulation, and the regulation does not apply. But still, you are supposed to comply to the national ABS rules of the country established in 2006. So let's move on to the type of material that's covered by the EU ABS regulation. This seems to be one of the, the trickier questions. Um, as I said before, the GNP Hub has received a lot of questions about this. So what kind of material does the regulation apply to? Well, it's all about the, the term genetic resources. And this term has been defined in the CBD and the Nagoya Protocol as genetic material of actual or potential value with genetic material in its term being defined as any material of plant, animal, microbial or other origin containing functional units of heredity. So, this comprises whole organisms such as plants or animals, parts of organisms such as leaves or even DNA fragments. The recombination applies equally to wild and to domesticated species. Also, you must bear in mind that genetic material does not have to be alive. Dead herbarium material, for instance, can also be considered genetic resources. Finally, the EU ABS regulation may also apply to derivatives. A derivative is defined in the Nagoya Protocol as a naturally occurring biochemical compound resulting from the genetic expression or metabolism of biological or genetic resources, even if it does not contain functional units of heredity. However, derivatives only fall under the EU ABS regulation when there is a certain level of continuity between the derivative and the genetic resource from which it was obtained. This is explained in detail in section 2.4 of the revised guidance document. Okay, and can you give us a couple of examples then of what is meant by derivative? Yeah, examples of derivatives are proteins, lipids, enzymes and organic, organic compounds such as flavonoids, essential oils or resins from plants. Okay, and so we're talking about genetic resources. Genetic resources are a type of biological material. Um, does this also include uh, samples from humans? No, human genetic material is not covered by the Nagoya Protocol and the EU ABS regulation. However, individual elements of the human microbiota, uh, which refers to the microorganisms such as bacteria, fungi and viruses, which reside on or in the human body, may be covered as these do not form human genetic material. So this refers, for instance, to gut bacteria or, or viruses that are found on your skin. Okay, all right. But there are examples of other types of material that are not covered, correct? So can you maybe give some other examples of material that don't fall under the EU regulation? The EU ABS regulation does not apply when ABS is covered by a specialized international instrument and the regulation recognizes two specialized international instruments. The first is the International Treaty on Plant Genetic Resources, Food and Agriculture, the ITPGRFA, which covers material of certain plant species used for research, breeding and training for food and agriculture. 
The second specialized instrument recognized by the EU regulation is the Pandemic Influenza Preparedness Framework, the PIP framework, which covers influenza viruses with human pandemic potential. Furthermore, there are certain types of genetic resources which are not considered to be in scope of the regulation. And these are also mentioned in the revised guidance document. Okay, can you give us a couple of um, examples? Yeah, a, a very important example are pathogenic organisms that were unintentionally introduced into EU territory. For instance, uh, viruses that were taken unintentionally by humans traveling from abroad or plant pathogens on important material. So much more examples of material which, which are considered out of scope of the regulation can be found in the EU guidance document, which I mentioned before. So the next thing would be the question of how the material is used. But just before we go to that, I wanted to touch on this question of traditional knowledge, which is associated with genetic resources. Because this is also covered by the Nagoya Protocol and the EU regulation. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yes, this is also a good point. We have been talking so far about genetic resources, but actually the EU ABS regulation also applies to the traditional knowledge associated with genetic resources. However, the element of traditional knowledge is less developed in the regulation and the guidance document also because there is no internationally agreed definition of net traditional knowledge. The EU ABS regulation defines traditional knowledge associated with genetic resources as traditional knowledge held by an indigenous or local community that is relevant for utilization of genetic resources and that is as such described in the mutually agreed terms applying to the utilization of genetic resources. Well, in, in, in the common words, this means that in order to be in scope of the regulation, Traditional knowledge associated with genetic resources needs to be related to the utilization of those resources and it must be covered by the relevant contractual agreements. Okay, you referred to this word utilization. So this is all about how the material is used. And based on my experience with the help desk and the German Nagoya Protocol Hub, that this is the part of the scope or the EU regulation which probably creates the most confusion among researchers. There seem to be so some grey areas, um, the boundaries between what is within scope and what is out of scope are not always really clear. So maybe we should just start with like um, a bit of a definition and an understanding of um, what utilisation means. Yeah, in, in the EU ABS regulation, uh, utilization of genetic resources means to conduct research and development on the genetic and or biochemical composition of genetic resources, including through the application of biotechnology. And in the, in the EU guidance document, it's further explained that utilization can be basic research, applied research, and product development. So if you do one of these three activities, you are, are very probable to fall under the definition of utilization. There seems to be somewhat of a misconception, particularly among basic uh, non-commercial researchers, that this wouldn't apply to them. But of course, utilization can also apply to this type of research, but not every type of basic non-commercial research will be utilization. Yeah, you're, you're right. In, in the regulation, no distinction is made between commercial and non-commercial research or, or between basic and applied research. 
And in the guidance it's, it's explained that this is the case because often the re results of basic research are published and may become the basis for further applied research with commercial relevance. Researchers involved in basic research may not be aware of it at this stage, but their findings may have commercial relevance at a later stage. Okay, so can you provide a couple of examples um, for the listeners to help them understand what is considered to be uh, utilization and maybe some activities which are not considered to be utilization? Yeah, in the guidance document, there are some examples of utilization mentioned uh, explicitly. And uh, some of the examples are uh, research to discover specific genetic and or biochemical properties. Uh, second one is the creation and improvement of genetic resources to be used in production processes. For instance, uh, yeasts used in uh, brewing. Another example is a breeding program to create a new plant variety based on land races or natural occurring plants. And genetic modification is also uh, mentioned as an example of utilization. As for examples of activities which are not utilization, the guidance document mentions the maintenance and management of a collection for conservation purposes, the exchange of genetic resources as commodities, genetic resources as testing or reference tools, and the activity of planting and harvesting by farmers. So I mentioned right at the beginning that you're the ABS focal point. So this means that you have, or part of your responsibilities is to provide people with information about the EU regulation, but also ABS. So you've also received many inquiries over the years. So in your experience, why do you think that researchers have un problems understanding the concept of utilization? Well, I think the main reason is that because there is a sometimes a, a considerable gray area between utilization and non-utilization. For instance, when you look at the genome sequencing, if you do this just for identifying an organism, it is not utilization. But when you make a connection between the genome and certain traits of the organism, it becomes utilization. And for, for, ma for many aspects of research and development, there, there are gray areas and it's, 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 it's for researchers sometimes very difficult to, to find a way in these areas. And, and that's why I want to refer back again to this guidance document, because this guidance document not only contains principles, it only, also contains many practical examples, examples which were taken uh, from sectors and which were taken from real life situations. Yeah, I think this is an important point that uh, you might start out with a particular research activity, which is not considered to be utilization, but in the course, over the course of time, um, you can transition into utilization and, and consequently fall within the scope of the EU regulations, meaning that you would then have due diligence obligations. Okay, so you mentioned um, the EU guidance document and the practical examples. I think um, at this point, and you've mentioned it before, but we'll say it again, that we need to give like a bit of a, a word of caution to researchers because, because of course we're only talking about the scope of the EU regulations. So other countries and countries where genetic resources come from do treat genetic resources and research differently and it's possible that the scope of the laws the abs laws which regulate access to the material uh can be much wider um, can you say something about that yeah this is a very important point indeed uh, the the eu abs regulation reflects the eu interpretation of the Nagoya protocol but other countries they may have a different interpretation and therefore it's possible that an activity is not the scope of the eu abs regulation 
but does fall under domestic access laws of the provider country. And why, as, as I explained before, in those situations, even if the utilization of the genetic resources fall outside the scope of the EU ABS regulation, you are supposed to respect the national laws and the rules and regulations of the country where you obtain the resource. Otherwise, as I said before, you may be called to account by the authorities of that country at a later stage. But to make clear, you will not be called to account by national authorities in the EU if it does not fall under the EU ABS regulation. Okay, as I said, you know, you're the focal point and um, people contact you regularly. Um, do you have any tips for researchers trying to figure out whether or not they have compliance obligations? We mentioned the guidance document a number of times. Do you, do you have other uh, suggestions? Yeah, first of all, I would like to stress that it's important to think about and check your obligations at an early stage of your activities. Of course, it can take a lot of time to obtain the required permits from a provider country. So sometimes people come to me uh, uh, in the third year of, the, of, of uh, their PhD program and they, they want to arrange things. But uh, I, I would say that's a little bit late. In an ideal situation, you should start at a very early stage with, with getting the required permits. And as you said, if you want to have information, a very important source of information is the, is the guidance document I mentioned before. Other good source, good source of information uh, include, uh, of course, the ABS Clearinghouse website of the CBD, which, uh, which I mentioned before. The German Nagoya Protocol Hub website, where you work, is, is, very, is, is very good. Uh, the website of the ABS National Folk Point of the Netherlands can, can give you information. And so, well, to, 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 to elaborate on this last point, this website also contains an uh, interactive help tool, which can help you determine if your activities are in scope of the regulation. And if this is the case, to find out about your obligations and the regulation. And just for the listeners, so the link to this tool, which you can interact with and which helps you to understand whether your um, research and material, etc., falls within the scope, is actually provided in the show notes. All right. So I hope that our listeners um, found this podcast helpful when they're planning their next research project as you said it's always important to start early with abs and definitely not in the third year of your research project and then to start work out working out whether or not abs applies and if you have due diligence obligations if not it's not always easy to work out the scope and whether uh, the regulation applies but as you mentioned there are resources there are tools out there but there are also places to ask for guidance. For, for example, um, the focal point uh, in the Netherlands is often contacted. You, Martin, are often contacted. It's also possible to contact the competent authority in your respective country. And, of course, in Germany, academic researchers are also, um, can also reach out to the German Nagoya Protocol Hub if they have questions. So, yeah, so Martin, thank you very much for joining me today and shedding light on this uh, very complicated topic. It was great. Oh, you're welcome, Liz. I'm happy that you have given me the opportunity to explain the regulation, and I hope it has been useful for the listeners. If questions remain, uh, listeners are welcome to contact me by email or phone anytime. My contact details can be found on the website of the ABS National Focal Point of the Netherlands and also on the ABS Clearinghouse website of the CBD. And again, we'll include the links uh, in the show notes for today. Okay, so that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thanks for listening. And yeah, we look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Nagoya Bites. So we've reached the end of today's episode. 
and it's time to say goodbye. Thank you for tuning in to Nagoya Buds. Don't forget to check out the GMP Hub website for lots of other useful information about Nagoya Protocol compliance. And of course, if you still have questions, you can reach out to us through the contact form. What did you think of our podcast? If you have any feedback for us, you can also let us know through the contact form. And if you have suggestions for future topics, you can leave those there as well. For regular updates on the GMP Hub, you can follow us on Twitter, or you can check out the news section of the website. Keep an eye out for upcoming episodes of Nagoya Bites. Thanks for listening. And see you next time.